1 Samuel chapter 28, we are three, three teachings uh, until we're done with the first book of Samuel. And then, uh, then I'm gonna actually take a, a short break, a little family vacation, and when I come back, we're gonna hit the second book of Samuel. So I'll, I'll be here uh, this morning, and then Wednesday night, and next Sunday morning I'll be here, and then we are out for a little bit. Jake is, Jake is out right now because he's preparing. <laughs> so getting ready. 1 Samuel 28, I, this is one of the many chapters as we go through the Bible where I'm so thankful that the Lord has given us the whole counsel of the word of God. That we are not just limited to a book or a theology or a doctrine or a tradition, but we have the entire word of God and it is all intentional and it is all here for a purpose. And we come across things in the Bible from time to time that we honestly probably wouldn't talk about at all, except that it's in the scriptures. And God is intentional in what he brings up. Some things he repeats over and over and over because he is trying to get it into at least my thick skull, trying to help me to understand and comprehend his, his deep love. There are other things that don't come up as often, but when they do, they are profound. This is one of those. Very interesting story that begins in verse three, actually, of 1 Samuel 28. Look at verse three. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city, and Samuel had, or Saul, forgive me, Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. That verse by itself is very interesting. Well, where are we going with this? Lord, you know where we're going with this, so we just pray for your divine direction and your lead. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us really a full comprehension of why this story is here, why you have it recounted, why we should be aware of it, and, and what you wanna say to our hearts this morning. And I truly pray, Father, not just for a, a mental ascent, but a, a heart readiness to receive, like good soil, the word implanted. And Holy Spirit of the living God, we just hand this time to you and uh, we're ready to receive what you desire to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I read verse three, beginning again, now Samuel was dead, and I can't help but thinking about the opening lines of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Charles Dickens' classic story it can be easily adapted to our teaching this morning. In fact, let's do that. Samuel was dead to begin with. Old Samuel was as dead as a doornail. There is no doubt that Samuel was dead. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. And that's why before the story begins, we're reminded now, don't forget this, Samuel was dead. He had been dead a while. 1 Samuel 25, verse one says, then Samuel died and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. So again, verse three, Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. So the Bible underscores this truth. We have it now repeated a second time that Samuel was dead, and the reason it's repeated, you probably know, is it brings us to a, a problematic and perplexing ghost story. This is a strange one in the Bible. And this is one that has spun a lot of scholars around. There are a lot of interpretations of what actually happened. We'll consider that in a moment here. 
But the thing that strikes me is if there's any one thing that draws people together, believers and unbelievers alike, draws out our curiosity, it's life after death. We see it in the movies, we see it in books, we see it talked about here, it talked about in culture. It's a curiosity for so many people. Now, as a follower of Jesus, it's not a curiosity to me. I know what's happening, I know what's coming, I know where I'm going. But to so many, there's that sense of, what, what, what happens? What's it like? Books fly off the shelves describing and talking about life after death. And even the most hardened skeptic can't shake the curiosity. Why is that? Solomon nailed it. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. It's already in our heart. It is in the heart of men and women to think about something beyond this life, to consider eternal life, life after death. He said it in our hearts. But he says, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Why is that? That beautifully insinuates that the only way to satisfy the mystery of eternity is to know the Lord. So across the board, all humanity has eternity in the heart, but not so that we know fully or can understand what God's doing, what he's, gonna, what he's done, and what he's gonna do all the way to the end, unless we ask him, unless we come to him. Now foolish people seek all kinds of other sources, looking for, trying to understand life after death. It has been this way for ages, which is why the Lord commands in Leviticus 19.31, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now the Lord commanded that in Torah to Israel. Leviticus chapter 20, verse six, he repeats, as for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Then he says in verse 27 of Leviticus 20, a man or a woman who's a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death. That's how serious God is about this whole deception and the lies that come through this practice of spiritism and, and the work of mediums and palm readers and tarot card readers and all of that. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verse nine, says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead for whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out from before you, you shall be blameless. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. That is the divine absolute punishment and prohibition for divination. Because divination is false. Because it's a bogus attempt 
to try and understand the eternity that's been set in our hearts. It's a bogus attempt to try and get what is beyond or what powers are greater than our own selves. Hey, we all know there's greater power. That's why these spiritists have risen in history because if you're not following the Lord, you still have a sense of something greater. You still have a sense of a power that is spiritual, that is beyond the flesh, and people will seek after that. And it's not just an ancient concern of the old law. In fact, Revelation chapter 21, verse eight says, for the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I gave you all those verses to lay out the significance of this to God. He's not messing around when it comes to pagan practice. There was a time in my life when I would talk about pagan practice in the past tense. Not so much anymore. When we see a country that is turning toward paganism in ridiculous ways. And people read this, and they read about the mediums and the spiritists and the put them to death and don't practice these things. And, and there are those who say, isn't that just a random list of sins and offenses? I mean, God's up there, and he just came up with all these things that either he doesn't want us to do because we'll find out. Isn't that what Satan said to Eve in the garden? Did he really say? Now, here's what'll really happen. You'll become like God. Did he just come up with this arbitrary set of rules because he wants to exert some kind of cosmic control over us as, as minions, as underlings. Is that, is that the idea here? Does he fear that we can find something out if we go about it by another way? And you know, that's, that's a ridiculously anthropomorphic question. What I mean by that is that is the kind of question, the kind of thinking people have when they, when they look at God and, and consider him as us. He's just doing this to exert control over this. Well, well, we would do that. You know, we would come up with arbitrary rules so that we could stay in power. That's not God's purpose at all. In fact, the Father's concern is not for himself. God's not worried about, well, what if we find something out? First Timothy chapter four, verse one, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. The Lord doesn't want that for people. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, Paul writes, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter eight Verse 19, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, hard-pressed and famished. It will turn out that when they're hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. And then they will look to the earth. And behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. The whole thing 
It's a lie, spiritism, witchcraft, divination, sorcery, necromancy. That is the idea of raising the dead. Horoscopes, fortune telling, palm reading, numerology, tarot cards, and pagan pride events as is taking place this Saturday in Coopville. These are all doorways to deception. That's all they are. They're all lies, they're all tricks. And by the way, this is so significant today because we are seeing a dramatic rise of paganism in this culture. In 1990, there were 8,000 practicing witches in the United States, 8,000. Today, there's 1.5 million. So that's, that's the difference in such a short amount of time. By the way, that is a larger number of practicing witches than the entire Presbyterian church in America. And I just picked that one out. You could compare it to any others. I could make a joke right now. I'm not going to. Show a little respect. Show a little restraint. We are all, listen, we are all spirit, soul, and body but anything of a spiritual nature that does not recognize the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ is a lie. Any spiritual experience that doesn't look to him and consider him as the source of life and authority is a lie, according to his own word. By this you know the spirit of God, 1 John 4, verse two, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And by the way, that's not Jesus and Jesus in addition to, it is only Jesus. Because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So again, witchcraft, sorcery, and the like, they're not sinful because they happen to be on a random list, they are sinful, they're wrong, because God loves us. Because his heart is for us. Because like any of us as parents, he does not want his children to be deceived. And those who are not his children, he would like them to be his children. John three sixteen, you know it so well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, Saul knew the Lord's ban on such deceptions, knew it well, understood it. I've told you before, Saul, for all of his flaws, was a very religious man. He kept the religion side of it, did what he thought outwardly would, would prove that he was a good Israelite. And so he religiously obeyed all of God's bans on spiritism, on witchcraft, on this kind of mysticism. Uh, if you look at verse three continuing, verse three chapter 20, where are we? 28? Right, chapter 28. Long day at the soccer field. Samuel was dead, all Israel lamented and buried him in Ramah in his own city, and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Verse four, so the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. So Saul had gotten rid of all of this 
banned all of the, all the, the false mysticism. This was, this was no longer allowed in Israel. It says he, would, he had removed them from the land, although we're gonna find access was still pretty easy. But he did the right thing, and then life got hard. And then the Philistines poured into the land. And this battle, this war that Saul is now facing is the most dangerous, the most difficult of his entire life. And he is quite fearful, as you'll see. I want you to understand something, though, and this is a, a, maybe a Bible student note. If, if you're here on Wednesday nights and we talked about a Philistine war, the Philistines coming up in chapters 27 and 29. And in those two chapters, we see David actually is with the Philistines, with the king of Gath, Achish, and they're making their way in to, to fight the Israelites and David's in a very difficult place because he looks like he's aligned with the Philistines even though he's not. Okay, and that, and that backstory, I don't have time to go into, but what's interesting is chapter 27 and 28 are divided by, or 29 are divided by 28. And, and the reason that's significant is they're two different battles. And it's really easy to miss this if you're just reading through at the end of the book. You think this is kind of one long Philistine war. It's not. These are two different battles. This is not the same location, verse four, where it says where they camped in Shunem and Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. That's Mount Gilboa. Shunem, this is the lower Galilee region in chapter 28, the reason that's important is chapters 27 and 29, which happened before this, both of those chapters happened prior to this. In those two chapters, the gathering was at Afek and Ein Harod, which is 30 miles south of here. These are two different battles that take place at two different times. Why is that important? Because here in chapter 28, what's happened is the Philistines haven't just made a slight incursion into Israel. They have gone all the way up to Shunem and Gilboa. They are up at the lower Galilee. They are getting ready to cut Israel in half. Cut the nation in half, north to south, and you can conquer the nation. And this is the intent. The previous war that was talked about in 27 and 29, that war happened 30 miles south and was just pushing in, fighting at the boundaries. But this now is right up in the heart, in the middle of the nation. If you look at a map of Israel today, you know where Mount Gilboa is. That is a narrow stretch in Israel. And if they can cut it in half, this, is always, this, was, the, this, this was the Arab plan in 1967, 1948, 1973, all of the Arab-Israeli wars, the Arab intent was to try to cut Israel in half. You do that, the country's done. So that's where the Philistines are. They're all the way up. They've made this incredible incursion. Why? Well, we have modern examples that I won't go into, but I'll tell you this, weak leadership invites enemy incursion. You get a weak leader of a country and the enemies of that country start to play hardball because they think they can. We can get away with it now. Saul has shown great weakness. And on top of that, what it looks like on the outside is David has defected to the Philistines. That's what the Philistines thought. That's what some in Israel probably believed at the time. Wasn't true. He is living in Philistine country, secretly fighting a war against leftover Canaanites and against the Philistines, but 
it, it just on the outside, you've got a weak leader, you've got the greatest warrior of Israel's recent history, at least if not entire history, and he's now over on the other side. Now is the time to attack. Now is the time to split this country. Why does chapter 28 interrupt chapters 29 and chapter 27? Why not deal with those two stories and then deal with this one? And I mentioned on Wednesday night that the Spirit is doing something literary here, something specific to make a point. And that is that in 27 and 29, we see David, we see the story of David, and then in 28, we see Saul, and the Spirit is making a dramatic contrast between the two men both under pressure, but both responding differently. David is fearful in 27 and 29. David is trusting in his own heart, but you know what? Listen to me, God can still work with that. How many times in your life have you trusted your own heart only after the fact to go, why didn't I just pray? Why didn't I just trust the Lord? Why did I think I could just figure this one out? See, when it's in that place of the heart, God can work with that. God can turn that around. But in chapters uh, 28, where we see Saul, he is also fearful, but his heart is hard. Saul is religious. And Saul is playing a game. And chapter 28 truly is one of those apex chapters where the reality of, of where Saul's mentality is emerges in a very dark way. Verse five, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was greatly afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Okay, wait a minute. God, uh, Saul inquired of the Lord. That should tell us something good about Saul and God doesn't answer. So it's not Saul's fault. Well, let's think about this. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter one, verse 22. In the book of Proverbs, it's a very interesting book because wisdom is personified. Solomon, in writing the Proverbs, or at least most of them, takes wisdom and, and speaks as though wisdom were a person. Listen to what wisdom says. Proverbs one, verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I called, and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. And then listen, they will then call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Why at this point, at this most dangerous battle of his entire rule, when Saul calls on the Lord, God doesn't answer at all. It's all a matter of the heart. It's a matter of where Saul is at this point. 
What did God say? Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Contrast that with something Jesus said to the Pharisees. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Do you get where I'm going with this? God is looking for people whose hearts are after his own. Saul didn't go to the Lord here. Saul went to church. Saul went to the religious side of things. Saul is scared to death at what he's facing with the Philistines and says, you know what? I gotta rub the the lucky rabbit's foot. We gotta do this. How do you know? Just watch the story unfold. But he didn't go to the Lord. God is, listen, God is not looking for religious cultists. It's not what he wants out of you. It's not what he wants out of me. Show up to church, take your communion, pay your tithe. We'll check those boxes. We'll check the other boxes on my sin list. And if you measure up, you're good to go. That is not the Lord's attitude toward you and toward me. So uh, the Lord wants children. The Lord wants a, a family. The Lord is looking for people who will be in relationship with him. He is inviting us to be his own But what Saul does here, and and, and the proof is in the actions. Yeah, he prays, God doesn't answer, but God doesn't answer because the proof is in Saul's heart, what he actually does, and he decides to conjure up the only fountain of wisdom that he used to know by what we would call, and if you wanna jot this down, an illegitimate inquiry, an illegitimate inquiry. Then Saul said to his servants, verse seven, seek for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there's a woman who's a medium at Endor. At Endor. She lives right next to the Ewoks. (laughs) Go to Endor. We can find a medium there. Saul had put the mediums out, I thought, of the country. Now Saul in his fear and Saul in his distress, Saul being pressed here at this time, called out to the Lord, can't find the Lord, get a witch. You see where his heart is? This is the problem. An illegitimate inquiry. Indoor, by the way, this location of, of this medium, of this witch, indoor, in or ein is fount or spring, Door means generations. This is fount of generations is the name in door. But this fount of generations is a mirage. The medium here, medium is an interesting word. It literally translates mistress of the dead. Go find me a mistress of the dead at the fount of generations. This is an old and ancient evil. Ba'alot ob is mistress of the dead. Now think with me, again, Saul had cleared them all out before and now he's looking for a witch? Why? He's desperate. And that's the religious mindset. The religious mindset that doesn't trust in the Lord. See, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman will cry out to the Lord and wait for the Lord. Will wait upon the Lord and will not only cry out in times of distress, The spiritual man or woman is one who seeks the Lord in good times and in bad. The one who actually has a relationship 
with the Lord. But this is a religious mindset. Okay, we have a big problem. This is an issue. Go to church. Life's crashing in. Go to church. You know how many people came to church after 9-11? Saw this huge surge of church attendance across the country right after that situation. Saw a huge surge of church attendance coming out of COVID. People started coming back in droves to churches. I'm, I'm not saying that about any of you. I'm just saying that the religious mindset of the soulless person is, man, life's in crisis. I better go, go to church. Better go, go seek God. But then when things ease up, I'm out. And that's the mindset of Saul. And Saul it goes even a step further than that. When he goes to church and doesn't really get out of church what he needs out of church, then he goes looking somewhere else. Well, I can't get it there. I might as well go see if I can find a good witch. And he heads over to Endor. It's also interesting that Saul's servants know exactly where to find this Broomhilda. Verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. See, right there, he knows what he's doing. Now he's entering into deception himself. He went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Might circle that. And he said, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Note this, Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, as Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Whoa, Saul. Hold, are you kidding me? You are swearing by a God that you don't trust? You are actually calling upon the name of the Lord to do something that you know is abhorrent to the Lord. That is not relationship. That is blind religion. That's where we see Saul's heart, and it's so sad. First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, tells us that Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry, and did not inquire of the Lord. Now again, you know, your critic would go, whoa, wait a minute, he did inquire of the Lord. I mean, verse six, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. That's not Saul's fault. He inquired of the Lord. And some call that a contradiction. I don't call that a contradiction in the scriptures. The only contradiction is between Saul's mind and Saul's heart. Because now we see where his heart is, even as he's calling on the Lord or inquiring of the Lord, he's not doing so by faith. He's not doing so in trust. He's just looking for a quick fix to a big problem. And so he heads off to find and to talk to this witch. Let me see if I can make it a little more clear here. Saul never really did inquire of the Lord. N not with his heart. If you sit down at a meal and say, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Did you inquire of the Lord? Is that, is that truly a heartfelt, you know? And I don't know if you experienced this in your homes. Okay, I'll open the door of the Crawford house just a little bit, but it's, it's ironic to me that at mealtimes, you know, you gotta put the finger on the nose to see who's gonna pray first. You guys ever do that? Hey, who's gonna pray? I always make, really, guys? None, none of you, I'll talk to Jesus. None of you wanna, and, and Cheryl, of course, pointed out to me, now nah, it's just being put on the spot at mealtime. I'm like, okay, okay, 
fair enough. But it is not inquiring of the Lord to say a prayer by rote. It is not inquiring of the Lord to simply repeat a creed with no heart involved. And I add no heart involved because there are those who would repeat creeds and do so with deep faith. The issue is not the words coming out of my mouth. It's the meditation of my heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is your heart engaged? Is this relationship or is it just words? And if I've just rattled off a memory verse, have I really inquired of the Lord? Jesus said God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means honestly, authentically, not showing up to play games. This is an illegitimate inquiry. Secondly, we see an illicit invocation, an illicit invocation, verse 11. Then the woman said to him, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me, for you are Saul? And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped with a robe. <laughs> Let me just pause and say, mediums and spiritists and palm readers alike, they always go for the generic. If anyone lived in Israel at the time and had any idea about Samuel the prophet, they knew he walked around in a robe. Come on, old man in a robe. Whoa, who could that possibly be? But she says this, and it tells us in Scripture, Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Here's a question of grave concern. Did you catch that? Okay. Is this Samuel? This is the debate that, that goes on over this, over this passage. Some say this is just human trickery, you know, because clearly Saul doesn't actually see just the witch, the, the medium, you know, the mistress of the dead says, well, I, I see a form coming out of the earth. So maybe it's just a trick. You know, she's playing him. That happens all the time. Some say that's what's going on in the story. Others say, nope, it's a demonic impersonation that there is a spirit being coming up that she does see, and, that, and you're gonna get words here, a conversation in just a moment. Very interesting conversation will take place. So, so maybe it's a demon impersonating Samuel to try and throw Saul a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So those two suggestions are floated. Human trickery, demonic impersonation. I don't think it's either one. I believe that this is Samuel. And I'll, I'll tell you why. First of all, notice the reactions that they have to this ghost. This old man in a robe who rises up before her, what does she do? It tells us when she saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Well, the word cried out is actually much more witchy than that. The word is tizak. 
in Hebrew, which is shrieked. She shrieked with a loud voice. The witch shrieked because she freaked. <laughs> she saw something that she did not expect to see. This actually scared her. So she's either a fake doing the shrieky thing as a medium, or, or, or maybe she, some would say she was channeling her, her familiar spirit and it startled her. The more likely truth is that she wasn't faking, that she actually saw someone she did not expect to see. By the way, she may have functioned with a certain familiar spirit. She may have had a spirit that she channeled to help her, you know, mislead and deceive people. That's possible, but this wasn't that spirit. This is something different. This scares her. And by the way, in verse 14, Saul knew that it was Samuel. Without qualification, Saul knew that it was Samuel. And by the way, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 16 in the Bible tell us it was Samuel. The Bible doesn't dance around it. The Bible doesn't say it was a deception of Samuel. The Bible says very clearly this was Samuel. But get this, understand this. If we look back over the last since, well, chapter 15, all the way now up to chapter 28, this is the first time that Saul will have spoken to Samuel. Not since his death, but since chapter 15. It's been a long time since there's been conversation. 1 Samuel 15, 26 says, Samuel said to Saul, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe. His me'il is the word. It's, a, it's a, a unique word to use for the robe. It's the same word that's used here, and it tore... So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. I wonder if the robe was still torn. A shriek, a robe. And furthermore, the Bible tells us so that this was Samuel up from the place of the dead. Verse 15, continuing, then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up. Up from where? In the Hebrew scriptures, we would say Sheol. In the New Testament, the same word, the Greek word for Sheol is Hades. Neither one are hell. Hell is different. Sheol, Hades, is the waiting place for the dead. Jesus describes it in Luke 16 giving a story which I do not believe is a parable because there's nothing about it that sounds like a parable. And he describes this place, this Sheol, this Hades, this, this waiting place for the dead, this place about which Job said, Job 30, verse 23, I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting for all the living. So Samuel now is called up out of Sheol and comes up before this witch, this medium, before Saul with a message specific to Saul. If you're uncomfortable with my understanding of this, hang with me a little longer. Let me ask you this. Is Sheol still open for business? Is Hades still functional? And the answer is not if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, yes. Yes. 
it is still open. It is still the meeting place of all the living outside of Jesus. If you are in Christ, then your spirit goes directly to be with him if you die in Jesus today until the rapture. Proof of that. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. God will bring with him, because they're with him. Those who have died in Christ. He will bring the spirits with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, that is trust in the Lord, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. There it is. But at this point, pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, at this point, there was only Sheol, the place of the dead, the waiting place. And so Samuel comes up and says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? You know, it's funny. We're all interested and talk about here, boy, I just wanna see resurrection. You know who doesn't wanna see resurrection? And I'm talking about just into life as we know it. The person who's died. They don't wanna come back here. You understand what I'm saying that, that, that we talk about, especially in, in certain movements in the church, we wanna see more miracles. We wanna see more people raised from the dead. Hey, if they've died in Christ and you raised them from the dead, you've done them a disservice. Why would you do that? Bring them back here. I've told you before, I think part of the reason Jesus wept was he knew Lazarus was gonna have more life he'd have to face here. But in this case, why have you disturbed me? Well, Saul answered, I'm greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and no longer answers me either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. Now, wait a minute. Did Saul hear Samuel speaking now? He, he didn't see him because the witch had to describe him. Is, is the witch speaking and Samuel's voice? Or now can Saul hear Sam? I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> I have no idea. But after, listen, after the robe-tearing incident, back in chapter 15, Saul grabbed that robe and tore it, and Samuel said, the kingdom is gonna be torn for you. Saul never spoke to Samuel again. He ghosted him. The whole rest of his life, Saul ghosted Samuel. All the way to the day Samuel died, the two never had another conversation. And now he goes to the prophet? Now Saul shows up. Now he needs the info. Again, that's not a relationship. That's religion. I show up when I need something. The Bible says if we say we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Let's be in communion with Jesus. Well, Saul, again, is in the battle of his life. He's gonna die in this battle, by the way, against the Philistines here on Mount Gilboa. Saul will be killed there with his son, Jonathan. That's coming up. We'll look at that next week. But he's gonna die in a battle, and I'm not just talking about war with the Philistines. Number three in the notes here, an inescapable intervention. And this, by the way, is, is more why I absolutely believe this was Samuel than anything else. Look at verse 16. Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? What, what did he ask him? 
He said, I'm greatly distressed. The Philistines are waging war against me. God has departed from me. Therefore, I've called to you so you may make known to me what I should do. I need answers here. That's what he's asking. Why do you ask me? The Lord's departed from you. Has become your adversary, verse 17. Yahweh has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you today. What thing? That has allowed the incursion of the Philistines. Moreover, verse 19, the Lord also will give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Who's speaking there? Samuel is. Where's Samuel come from? Hades. Where are Saul and his sons gonna be? With Samuel. Indeed, Yahweh will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. In other words, see you soon, Saul. See you soon. Samuel's spirit had come up from Hades. And again, Sheol, Hades, at this time, that was the waiting place for all the dead, whether they died in faith or not. Everyone went to Hades. Jesus described, again in Luke 16, a paradise and a torment and an impassable chasm between the two. That was Hades prior to the cross, after the cross. And this is... This is a longer teaching than I have time for this morning. But Ephesians chapter four indicates that when Jesus died, he descended into what the Bible calls the lower parts of the earth, which is commensurate with Hades in the Bible. He went down and he led captive a host of captives. That is led out all those who had died in faith and their spirits are now home with the Lord. Along with the spirit of anybody who dies today goes home to be with the Lord. That's the biblical promise. And yet at this time, again, good, bad, or indifferent, anyone who died was in Sheol, was in Hades. A lot has changed since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But how could God allow a witch to raise the ghost of Samuel if God is so opposed to witchcraft in the Bible? Is God using evil here to accomplish his end? No. Not at all. Now stay with me on this again. God is sovereign and nothing happens without his purview. Nothing happens without God's permission. Bible's clear about that. But I don't think witchcraft had anything to do with this. I don't think that this had anything to do with the witch at all. I think God called up Samuel. Because the words of Samuel are the words of God. They are prophetically accurate. They are true to the situation. They're exactly what had happened, and they're prophetic of exactly what will happen. And I believe that God called Samuel to bring an inescapable intervention to Saul on this day. Surprised? Listen, Samuel wasn't any more dead than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob were dead. God could do this easily. Matthew 21, verse 31, Jesus said, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. That's so cool when Jesus says that. He, God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abraham, right now. And Jesus, by implication, is saying, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're all still very much alive. 
Not in this flesh, not in this world. And same with Samuel. And what about Moses and Elijah? For those who say, God wouldn't call up Samuel from the dead like this. Well, did he not call Moses and Elijah to meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Same kind of thing, right? They were there, right there before Peter. So God is, this is not a problem for the Lord. It's only a problem for the scholars and the critics And by the way, neither demons nor human beings have the power in and of themselves to raise the dead. All they can do is fake it, whether human or demon. Only God can do it. And in this case, God calls Samuel, need you to go speak to Saul. By the way, Romans 8, 11, I just need to remind you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let me just ask you this morning, do you believe this? All right. Necromancy is demonic deception. Anyone who says they can bring up the dead, anyone who thinks they've experienced the ghost of Uncle Albert walking through the house, my friends, this is demonic deception. This is not, human beings and demons do not have the power to raise the dead. Only the spirit of the living God can do that. So when we see Samuel, and the, and the Bible is very clear, this is Samuel, we know it's not human trickery. We know it's not demonic man- manipulation. Because either of those things, whether it's human or demonic, either of those things are for the exploitation of emotionally distraught people. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled like the world is so easily fooled. This is God's intervention here. And by the way, it is Yahweh's final inescapable word to Saul. The king asked Samuel, he sought Samuel, called a witch to bring up Samuel by his thinking for advice on what he should do in this war. He gets no advice. No advice. All he gets is this is what's gonna happen. Tomorrow you're gonna be with me, Samuel says. And there's nothing Saul can do He is now in an inescapable situation. Why? Because for all of this, Saul will not repent. Verse 20. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground. And if it said repented, this would be a different story. He fell full length on the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day and all night. What if he had fallen to the ground in repentance? How would the story be completely different in the scriptures for you and for me? Saul fell down and cried out to the Lord, forgive me my sins, forgive me my religious attitude, forgive me all the falsehood of my life. I need you, I trust in you, and whether I die or whether I live, I just wanna be with you. What if that had been what he said? Now, that's just, you know, just throwing out a what if, but that's not what happened. 
Isaiah 30, 15, we've quoted this one a lot. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. That's the key right there. You were not willing. The offer was there. The the invitation remained. Saul could have been saved, if not in the moment, and who knows, maybe he would have been, but he certainly would have been saved before the Lord had he truly turned to the Lord. This is Saul's problem all the way through his life. He was not willing. Now, I'm not casting judgment on Saul eternally. That's, that's between him and the Lord. I'm just saying, from what we see in the scriptures, this has been a religious king with massive potential who never gets there, who never comes to the place of actually trusting in the Lord. Like the kings of the nations, he doesn't see his own need until this dark night, his final night, and he can't even repent then. Verse 21, the woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words which you spoke to me So now also, please listen to the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. Okay, she's terrified. And now she's got King Saul there at her house and he's not looking good. And if he dies in her house after she's just done a little bit of of necromancy and his servants, she's dead. Let's feed him and get him on his way. Get him moving as quickly as possible But he refused, he said, I will not eat. Verse 23, however, his servants together with the woman urged him. So he listened to them. He arose from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly slaughtered it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. And she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. And then they arose and went away that night. I remember Another night, another dark night, another meal, by the way, of unleavened bread, and another religious hard heart. Jesus had said to the 12, the one for whom I dip the morsel and give it will betray me. You realize that Judas had all the way up to that moment, even a little bit beyond, to repent. He could have changed direction. He was not forced into this position. Jesus said, I'm gonna dip the morsel and give it to the one who will betray me. And just moments later, he did so, and no one understood. You'd think it'd be obvious. If you're sitting around the table, okay, I'm gonna grab a green M&M, and the one I give it to is gonna betray me, and you do that, you'd think everyone would know, here's the betrayer. But I've told you before that the dipping of the morsel and handing it to another was an act of sweet friendship. This traditionally in Pesach was something you would do to a beloved or honored guest or your dearest friend. And so as Jesus does this and he gives it, by the way, to Judas who is sitting right next to him in the seat of honor. When Jesus hands it to him, nobody understands but Judas. John 13, 27 says, after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Verse 30 of John 13, so after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. 
And this whole story took place at night. And the whole story concludes, they went away, they arose, and they went away that night. By the way, just if you wanna look it up, it's another interesting contrast between this, this story and David's in 27 and in 29, because David departs in the morning. When David leaves, it's full daylight. But this is a story that happens at night. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light and their deeds were evil, John 3, 19. All darkness does, all darkness can do, all of this that we're talking about, witches and, and mediums and spiritists and all the rest, all darkness does is steal, kill, and destroy. That's the pattern, that's the intent, John 10, 10, that's what the devil's about, nothing else. That is all paganism offers. Then and now is darkness and lies and people eat it up because their deeds were evil, Jesus said. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, speaks hope into this. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And of course, Jesus said in John eight, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I want to end this story this morning with a serious question. Saul learns right there that night that the next morning will dawn and that day he will die. He's going to die on the battlefield there on Mount Gilboa. So the question I want to end with is very simply, are you prepared to die? If you knew tomorrow was your last day, I know what I'm asking. I also know that this is a hard story because it dredges up some strange things. It actually tugs on the heart. Uh, it, that, that heart sense of eternity that we've been talking about, that God put there. It raises the issue before us, but the question has to be asked and answered. Are you prepared to die? I didn't ask if you're looking to die. I didn't ask if you're just wanting to be done with it all. That's not my question. My question is, are you ready to meet your maker if it should be today? And we gotta, we gotta deal with this. We need to face this. Can you right now with confidence say, if God took me today, I'd be glad to see him. I'm ready. I know Jesus. I trust him. I know I would be with him. So many people are ghosting God right now. That phrase, you know, is a somewhat recent phrase in our culture, to ghost someone. And people are doing that with the Lord. Church people are doing that with Jesus. They're ghosting him. They're showing up for when it's expedient, when it's necessary, when they're fearful, when they're in distress, as opposed to seeking him all the time as opposed to lives just being about knowing him and following him and trusting in him. People are ghosting God and yet only looking his way in times of turmoil or crisis. But you know what? Regardless of why we come to him, Jesus offers, and this would be a number four if you wanna jot it down, an illuminating invitation. The invitation of Jesus. In Isaiah 8, 19, it was his spirit who said, when they say to you, consult the mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Hey, you wanna hear a voice back from the dead? 
Revelation chapter one, verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last, I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. The invitation of Jesus is come to me now. Know me now. Trust in me now. And if someone asks, are you ready to die? You can say, oh yeah. I love my wife. I, I really do. I, I love my wife. I love my kids, all of them. I love the place that I live. You know, to be in the Northwest in the summertime, even out on a soccer field all day yesterday, the sun was shining and the breeze was cool and it was just beautiful. I love my friends, I love my church fellowship. There are certain foods I really love. I love this life. Even for all the disappointments and discouragements and, and heartaches and tragedies that come along the way, I love this life. But if you ask me, Rick, are, are you prepared to die today? I'd say, yeah. Are you kidding? To be with the Lord? What a great thing. And that doesn't mean I live this life in despair. I, I, I live this life in thanksgiving. But I know that life is coming. He set eternity in my heart, and by his word and his spirit, he has told us, this is what I've got waiting for you. And it'll be better than anything you've ever had here. So again, I ask you the question, are you prepared to die? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're ready. If he is not, then don't put off what spiritists and mediums and, and witches can only lie about. Come to Jesus today. Let's pray.